Everybody, welcome back to Lorconicast, the happiest podcast on earth. We are here with another hot takes episode with our special guests, the Glimmer Gang. How's everybody doing? I'm doing great. Solid like a snake. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, then we are going to have some fun talking about some Gen Con air quotes tournaments and then the decks that we've been playing and, you know, maybe do a little bit of breakdown on what cards we're enjoying and whatnot. But for those who don't know who the Glimmer Gang are and the hosts and co-hosts why don't you all introduce yourself and tell everybody what you do what you talk about and where they can find you so we are the glimmer gang like sugi has said we are competitive based podcast based on larcana so we focus on the competitive side of the game uh once the game does release tournaments uh deck profiles and all of that uh my name is teddy i'm one of the hosts we are without our two other hosts tonight spencer and blake they are off doing their other things, but unfortunately, they will not make it. But if you guys do want to listen to us, you can check us out on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. We're all over the place. YouTube and Spotify is where we post most of our podcasts. You guys want to listen to us there. Spencer, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, so Spencer's here. Uh, Sean is not. Uh, I'm Spencer. I go by Sneaky Buffalo on the Discord or pretty much anywhere on the internet. So if you see Sneaky Buffalo, it's probably me. Yeah, part of the Glimmer Gang, focusing on competitive aspects of the Lorcana game. And we have a pretty interesting makeup. Like we said, Sean and Blake aren't here. And so we have a wide range of people and basically where they're at in the competitive scene. Uh, none of us have quite the stonks that Sugi here does, but we're looking to get there uh, and make a name for ourselves. So we'll, we'll definitely get some games in at Gen Con. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Speaking of Gen Con, the event itself is just a few weeks away. It's it's closer to being live than not. And we've got news about the the deck challenges which by the time this episode goes live, those should have already filled up because this is going to be coming out a couple of days after the Sunday, I believe May 21st when people can actually pay for their events. So let's talk a little bit about expectations for Gen Con. We know that the event is $20. You get a random booster and a random starter all combined together. And you have to go 3-0 in a three-round Swiss pairing, 50-minute. We don't know if it's best of one or best two out of three, so that's to be determined. And then if you're in the top eight, you get a playmat and you get an invite to a super secret Sunday tournament. And that's all we know. They have not revealed the style of play, the rounds, the prize support, nothing. It's just you're, we're, we're going to show up on Sunday and find out what the heck Robinsberger has in store for us. So let's talk about the the seven pods, the seven deck challenge events not the Sunday event yet. What are your guys' thoughts on that? When you when you saw the announcement for Gen Con, were you excited? Were you disappointed? Were you kind of like, oh, hey, this is kind of weird. It's not really a tournament. It's kind of a ca- casual competitive kind of thing. About like, what were your thoughts when you saw that? I'm I was excited. I'm super excited for it. Uh, as normal, I found out about it a few hours late. 
ask sneaky that is a popular occurrence with me i don't like actually see <laughs> things until a few hours after they are announced or released when we got that rules update it took me about two hours to actually figure that out but no i was excited i think it's gonna be really fun having that wide variety of times to be able to play whether you're gonna play on thursday or play on saturday or friday even uh I think having the time in between to play that if you just want to play a few or you can go and play all of them like I know I'm going to. But I'm excited. I think it's going to be really cool to be able to see hopefully a lot of new cards. Uh, we would f- physically play Lorcana and hopefully get some Gen Con swag and Gen Con credit behind us and uh, be able to play in those. And I think that's going to be really fun. Yeah, I was pretty stoked myself after game. So I'll, I'll start by saying like, we've been talking about having starter deck tournaments at Gen Con since we found out that they were going to Gen Con, but after gamma with their focus on the more league and casual aspect of the game and how they're really promoting that over the tournament or, you know, more competitive uh, side of things, people were starting to wonder whether they would have tournaments at Gen Con at all, or if it would just be some kind of like free play league type situation or just demos. So seeing that the starter deck tournaments were a thing, in fact, was super exciting because I know we all want to get in and play and, you know, compete a little bit. You know, you can take it as seriously as you want to. But I the thing that like stuck out to me was the format Like I was super excited to see the finale, you know, having it, you know, lead up to an actual, you know, tournament sort of situation, having no idea what exactly that format's going to be. You know, there's been speculation, you know, is it draft? Is it some kind of multiplayer format? Is it some crazy Lorcana specific format that they've been brewing up in the backyard? Like nobody knows. And that's exciting. I also think like the way they set it up where you've got, so many different pods, you know, just gives you the opportunity to potentially compete, you know, a lot. You could spend literally all of Gen Con doing it if you got into every single one, which is a little ridiculous, but it's an it's a possibility. And uh, I th- just think it's really cool. You know, like if you get into one, you don't do so hot, you get a deck that you don't really like very much or haven't been able to practice with. And then, uh, you know, grab a couple of friends. Each of y'all got a different deck in a different tournament. And then you practice that night. And then the next one that you've signed up for the next day, you go and crush. Like that's kind of the play um, that we're thinking about, you know, if we don't just go in and crush early. So I'm, I'm just pretty excited just to see how it all ends up working out at the, in the end, you know? So at the current moment, we have no idea what cards are in the starter decks. We have Gamma as a reference point, and they said that the cards we've seen have been like pared down. So there were 40 card decks. They're not necessarily going to show off every single card that would be in the 60 card deck. In fact, I'm pretty comfortable saying that there's probably cards in those decks we have no idea about. Just to clarify for those listening, they had demos of the yellow-purple deck and the blue-gray deck. So the red-green, we we literally know nothing about. And then those other two colors, we have a semblance of kind of sort of what's inside of there. Do you think we're going to get any more pertinent information on what will be in those decks? Or do you think we're just going to have to go in blind and figure it out along the way? I want to hope that we'll get them, but I feel like part of the fun in going into those tournaments is being able to just like, okay, you get this deck, go and play it, figure it out as you go. And I think that is something that could be beneficial. It could also not be beneficial because there are going to be people 
that play if we do get these decks early they're going to be people who practice them and know them like the back of their hand before they're going in and there are also going to be people who don't necessarily play them uh all the time and maybe they know the list but they don't know like how to pilot it specifically and so i think it would be cool to have them before and be able to practice them but if they really want like to keep it as an even playing field i feel like they don't really reveal as much to give that more uh not knowing what's coming type of feel to it my thought process is you know in today's day and age when it comes to you know the the retail space people expect to know what it is that they're buying and that's especially true in the tcg space and I know there's a whole conversation about this regarding, you know, reveals and whether the whole set could be revealed, but we're just talking about starter decks here. I strongly feel that the starter decks are going to be fully revealed before JitCon, simply because it's so close to release that waiting until after Gen Con to reveal them would just be too late for responsible uh, retail support. I guess is what I'm going to call it. But I don't think it's going to be very long before Gen Con. So we might be able to get in, you know, a, a games for a week or two, you know, getting in the reps. But I, I do think that we'll have the starter deck list before Gen Con. So here's a thought. What if they know that all the content creators are going to do the work for them? So they don't reveal anything because we're going to do it. What do you mean by that? Like we figure it out ourselves? No, no, no. Like we're going to go to Gen Con. They know that we're coming to Gen Con. They listen to our content. They watch our videos. So they know mm-hmm. there's a lot of content creators coming. So Robinsberger doesn't have to do anything. We're going to do all the work for them and say, hey, I just cracked open my starter deck. We're going to take pictures and post it on Twitter immediately because we're going to have time to like go through the deck and sleeve it, open our booster pack and slot in some cards. So, of course, all the content creators are going to showcase whichever deck they get. So the information on what's in the deck will be all over the Internet, all over Discord, all over Twitter. Mm -hmm. So Robinsberger really doesn't need to do a single thing. All that information is going to be dispersed across the board. And then if they wanted to, they could also you know, publicly do a tweet or post on their social media account. So for some reason, someone was not paying attention and didn't catch what the content creators in Discord and Internet are covering. And they're only following just the Disney Lorcana page. Boom. There's that information. Yeah, I, I could see that. I think I think obviously like content creators will post stuff there will be stuff that goes out like that like it will not be hidden for a long time at all but like sneaky was kind of saying i think if they like if they do go the route where they release it early then that wouldn't be as viable maybe like i feel like they could just like maybe release the list and nothing else like they don't release the cards what they do i feel like they could release what the deck list is and so yeah we know like oh let it go a few other steel like beast mirror okay those are in the deck but then there's like other cards that for those colors that haven't been revealed yet, but we don't actually get what they do. I can see them doing that. And so like we know how many of each card are in deck and we know like half of what's in the deck and half of what's not in it and not and don't know half of what's in the deck. I could see something like that happening. Yeah, my main thing is more just on the timing aspect of it. Like that is totally viable and it's something they could do and it would it would work and it'll be fine. Nothing wrong with it. But at the same time, like going into two weeks before release, the starter deck contents, I don't think should be the big hype thing. Like, I don't think it's juicy enough. You know what I mean? Why not? People are chomping at the bit for literally anything. I mean, this is true. This is very true. Uh, so I won't 
I won't discount that. I'm I'm just at a place, you know, I'm used to, you know, newer TCGs coming out and you know everything. And Ravensburger could specifically decide to break that mold, but I don't think they will outside of like secret alt arts or something like that, that they release like right when the set drops to super hype people up or something like that. Like that's the kind of stuff that I think should be releasing a week or two before launch, in my opinion. I think like with the newer TCGs, when you see a new TCG, they have to like fight for retail space. The difference between Lorcana and all the new TCGs is Disney is such a big IP that it is drawn in a crowd, I would say, that could be near the level of Pokemon and Magic right off the bat. They don't need to build anything up. They just need to keep people interested. And revealing stuff could do that, but I think that they already have enough that they have enough people interested that they really don't need to release everything and make everything known because people will still be interested. People won't lose out interest just because of the in just because the IP is so big and because Disney is such a big thing in general. I think that is kind of the biggest difference between any other new TCG and Lorcana. I mean, I agree to a point. Like what it comes down to is the game's gonna sell no matter what Ravensburger does. You, you slap Disney and beautiful art on cards uh, and say, come buy this, then people are going to come buy it. Question is, is one, how many to what type of people? And they've talked so much about wanting to attract players and wanting to turn collectors into players that, you know, the, the knowing things is a player mentality, whereas the not knowing things is a collector mentality. And so I think that, you know, with them talking about players so much, they're going to cater more towards players, which means giving us the information that we need. Plus, on top of that, it creates buy in. So like the game first comes, you know, it's first launching and not everybody's using TTS. Not everybody's printing proxies. That is a very, 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 very tiny portion of the population that is following the game or even going to get into it eventually. Uh, but, you know, they see these cards and they're like, oh, all these green cards look awesome. And I've got these ideas about this deck and these combos that I could pull off. And I can't wait to pull them in the pack so I can start building this deck. And it just creates this this buy in and this excitement. And there's there's a different type of excitement about not knowing things and just having that, you know, that surprise and that eureka moment. But I think you'll get the thing is, is that I always say is if the information is out there, you can choose to ignore it if that's what you want. Uh, is that, you know, a surprise moment? Uh, whereas if the information is not out there, then it's not possible for the other side of the coin. So you're losing out. Okay. These are really interesting thoughts because we don't know. We're going to have to wait and see what the announcements are, what the news turns out to be. But it's going to be fun either way. If we get information, mm-hmm. then great, we can practice. If we do not get information, then we get to show up, crack packs, and experience something akin to very old trading card game events. I, I remember playing Pokemon tournaments with like the base set and Jungle and Fossil, and you would show up. I remember when Team Rocket was released at at an event and we were cracking packs and there was a a constructed tournament and so everyone's just running around go you know going oh my gosh this is cool and people are like what is it it's like oh here's this gyarados oh here's this rockets card and so on and so forth and it's 
really fun because we don't get to do that anymore. Everything is already readily available weeks or even months before you get to actually have your product in your hands. So I wouldn't mind going back to some old school TCG stuff where you're on site, you crack open your starter deck. Oh, wow. Here's like five new cards. I have no idea what they do. Let me look at them. And then you open your booster pack and, you know, you know some of it and you don't know all of it. And then you have to start thinking, does this card work with the synergy? Do I really want this card in here? Do I want that card in there? And then depending on what product is available, if you're not playing in any kind of event, then you could just crack packs and build decks and play with your friends and experience an even wilder just swatch of cards that you have no idea what they are because they're they're literally brand new. I think Ravensburger is going to split the difference between not saying anything and telling us everything. I, I wouldn't be surprised if between now and then we got to like half the set so 102 cards give or take i i don't think we're going to see the whole set i think we'll see chunks but the the fact that they've been offline for a month is a little telling i do know there's some some changes internally with different staff members leaving and positions shifting and whatnot but still that doesn't mean someone couldn't post something within a month Mm -hmm. so the only thing i can think of is they're either Hard, highly, highly regulated by Disney on their social media, which I don't believe whatsoever, or they're they're setting up a new marketing strategy so that they can get that information to the players and onto social media in a proper and strategic fashion. So I would believe that more than, oh, we're just dead in the water, but we'll have to wait and see. If we don't see anything in the next like month, number two, then they're definitely <laughs> like holding them back, like all the information from us. God, let's not go through that again. I think we have to realize that like we're two months and three days away from game store release. It's not that far at all. We're a lot far, further along than we were in November or December of last year, obviously, but they are definitely in a different water than they were along a few months ago and how they want to go about things because we are so close now and the game does release it's going to release before we know it i think and i think that's something that i don't know if i've realized yet that like it's very close to being out the thing that's weird is like now is when you normally want to be building the hype train like starting it up and getting it rolling really hard but we're in a state of dead silence so i'm wondering if you know one it's just a situation they talked about where they're just trying to refigure things out just because of stuff that's going on maybe everything got thrown off between like you said the the staff moving around and then also the quote-unquote leak with the uh game rules coming out early and things of that nature or i wonder if you know maybe it's just a situation where they actually don't want a hype train going because they're already overrun with demand and they don't want to be building up a whole bunch and disappoint people at the very beginning by bringing more people in than they can support at the beginning. And maybe we'll see a big hype train push post launch preparing for wave two and set two. So it's just, there's a lot going on that I think is interesting and I'm, I'm excited to see how it plays out. And like you said, Sugi, at the end of the day, no matter what, we're going to have fun. Like if we don't know anything or we're in there cracking packs and finding, you know, awesome cards we've never seen before. Sweet. Like, it'll be a fun time, especially with all the CCs together at Gen Con, just having a good time. So I I definitely look forward to it. Question really comes down to whether there's going to be troves there or not, because, you know, as soon as somebody pops a trove, the whole set's spoiled. I mean, you will probably need a couple troves, but yeah, you're right. With with such a huge amount of cards and eight packs, yeah, if they're they're popping troves by the end of day one at Gen Con, we'll see everything. Well, it's the player's guide. It's supposed to have a list of all the cards, like a collector's list. 
kind of like the oh old you're right i forgot about that it's one of the it's the fat pack like magic checklist thing mm-hmm. i like that book that comes in like the, the trainer box and stuff like that with the entire set yeah yeah i guess if if they have see i don't but we don't know if that's going to be there like right the fact that they have so many starter deck events i think i think it could be like one of the prizes for the mate of the final tournament oh i could see that because you the there's a there's only going to be a very small select amount of people at that tournament and so that one person will get it and they could be a content creator or they couldn't be but that's like okay gen con's done now you have the release coming this person gets the rights to post it to their social media and you and the, then the sets out i think that could be a very interesting way of doing it in that gen con's over the next part is the in-store release so i could see that happening the the only argument i have to that is between thursday and friday and saturday there's going to be so many packs cracked and so many people on the internet sunday i'm pretty confident by sunday the entire set will have been spoiled some way or another. Just through the packs? Well, think about it. There's, I, what did someone say? They have to have 2,400 starter decks for all the events they posted. Okay, yeah. Multiply, the, so so even, even this, think about this. Forget the demo learn to play events. There's seven, seven tournaments, 60 people. Seven times six is what? That will be 420 starter decks that are sold. We're not accounting for individual players. We're just saying if those all were going to fill up. Uh So 420 booster packs are going to be in the wild with 12 cards apiece. I guarantee you we're going to know what the entire set is by the time those packs are cracked. So treasure trove or not, the just the, the tournament, the deck challenge should be suffice enough to have the extra cards we don't know posted on Twitter and the discords and so on and so forth. Yeah. And I just did the math and it's 5,040 cards that will be open just in packs, not to mention what is actually like in the starter deck. So you're right. It, there's a very high chance that all the cards get posted and found. Now I, I do agree that the prize support could very well be troves just because if you're in the top eight to get to the secret event, and then you're in the top eight of that group, You've definitely proven you know how the game works and you're a competent Mm -hmm. player. And I think that'd be a cool prize to say, hey, here's a a treasure trove, you know, like here's pack support. You've earned it. I think that would be a super cool prize support because it's not necessarily super expensive. It's really, really cool for the people who just got started. You know, this is the first semi you know, competitive casual tournament. But if you say, hey, you know, top eight gets to walk away with a treasure trove, I'd be more than happy. If you said a booster box, I would be ecstatic but i mean a treasure trove is perfectly fine i see first place getting a booster box or something i don't i don't know if there is going to be a first place that's what i can't tell because they said there's prize support for the top eight but they haven't stated if it's like descending like prize support for like first second third or if it's just like hey you know top eight gets top eight like you did when you beat your pod true but i i could i could see that i this is just my point of view i i see that i see that like sunday final tournament being a lot more competitive than the starter deck tournament. I think it'll be a draft. That is my prediction. Following up on, you know, what, what Teddy's saying, I, I think draft is likely as well, just because, you know, you were just talking about it being a reward, you know, getting the the troves and things of that nature. And I think getting, you know, the idea of a draft and getting more product into people's hand is a reward in and of itself for making it to that top eight portion, which is why like something like draft or sealed, would make a lot of sense to me 
Plus, it also keeps people on a more even playing field, similar to the starter decks. Obviously, those that know a little bit more about the game uh, and the cards that are there and whatnot are going to have a little bit of a an advantage. But at the end of the day, it, it comes down to what you what you're able to pick up and the deck you're able to build with it and how you pilot it. So I, I think like of known formats, I think it's the most likely. Some people were talking about a multiplayer format tournament, which I personally would hate to see because free for all multiplayer is just in a tournament setting just gives me shivers, especially with Lorcana and where there's like you're playing to win not to lose and it's just super super political and alternatively like i hope that it's some kind of secret format in general like just something that they've been cooking up in 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 the smoker and uh have something like crazy cool for us but if it's not that then i think it's it's most likely draft just because of the even playing field and the fact that it's rewarding just to participate in the draft because you end up with cards in your hand yeah, I could I could absolutely see that. I also want it to be draft. I just don't get the feeling that with such a casual friendly style of event and attention to the newer player that they're going to go, hey, here are these like starter deck events. Have some fun. Play three rounds. If you get to the top eight, now it's draft. Like, wait, what is a dra-? like? You know, <laughs> I feel like that might be throwing people into the deep end a little too heavily. It's possible. I love draft. I would love to see it. I do agree. Multi multiplayer may be a little bit too casual. I think the safe bet is a sealed event where you get to pick your starter deck, and then everyone gets like four packs plus the pack inside the starter deck. And then you actually get to have a legitimate sealed event. So anyone who's played can participate because you've understood the functions of the starter deck. And then you just, you know, if you're a new player, you put cool cards you think are awesome in. And if you're a competitive player, you somewhat understand the ratios of your your CMC, your strength, toughness, your special abilities, the lore on the card, and how functionally and strategically or synergistically it blends in with the starter deck that you've got access to. Yeah, that's definitely something that we've we've talked about. I'm I would love to see that myself as well. I I just look at that as basically just like a modified sealed, but my one caveat is what I would like to see in that format is that you pop your packs first, then you pick the starter deck. Ooh, I like that. that I would prefer really cool. that. What what it like when you say pick your starter deck, sneaky? Like, do you take another fresh starter deck? Or you take like one of the ones you've already played during like this the uh, tournament during the day or like the previous starter deck events? Is a new one or like one you've already used? I'd I'd say a new one just because like it might not be the one that goes with what you pulled. Like my concept is you you get. A starter deck in four packs and then you pop your four packs you see what's in there and say oh wow i pulled uh, another moana a couple of princesses and you know some other fun stuff i can throw this into the amethyst mickey deck and i'd have a really strong foundation or mickey moana deck amethyst amber i'd have a really strong foundation so let's go with that but maybe i played emerald ruby in a previous tournament so i don't have that and the cards that i got don't really support that as well so that's my concept there is you you pop your back see what cards you have that can support the starter decks and then choose your starter deck from there this is a little bit closer to constructed and a little bit um less random i think that would be a really interesting way to see the finals play out i'm just excited i i'm really not too worried about it because 
we really can't use this event as a metric for who is like the best player in the world. There's no. randomness, there's inconsistencies, there's no preparation whatsoever because no matter how many reps you get, you're going to get a random starter and you could just get nothing in your booster pack. It's definitely a fun event and I'm not trying to take away anything from anyone who wins, but it's definitely more on the let's have some fun and play Lorcana and meet people and make friends than, oh, I'm definitely better than you two because <laughs> I got the color I wanted and I dodged the bad matchups in, in Swiss and my opponents let me go first and yada, yada. Like there's, there's so many inconsistencies to really prove factually that whoever wins is like de facto the best like they did they did well and they definitely worked hard but i'm really excited to see an actual like constructed event where everyone actually you know tests their metal against whatever the meta is at that time so Mm -hmm. i'm just excited for this event because it's going to be fun Mm -hmm. regardless of winning or losing we're going to see a really neat gen con event and it's probably going to be one of the few that's so player friendly and less like like casual players have a great opportunity to do well knowing nothing versus people who've played you know hundreds of games because again you d- you're not going to be able to control hardly any of your card environment you have to be able to pilot what you get adapt on the fly and you know sometimes you just don't get anything like i'm positive there's going to be people who get a starter deck they don't like or they don't want to play or they don't know how to play and then there's like no cards in the booster pack that help and so it's just like well i guess i'm playing vanilla you know can you win with that maybe i don't know we'll see yeah my wonder my thought is like how much is that pack really gonna help the deck because like maybe you get like another if you have like that amber amethyst deck and maybe you get another princess i know you get one more princess but how i i'm skeptical like how much is that pack really gonna help change the deck change the starter deck as a whole not much it'll make it a little more consistent but not oppressively consistent because we've already had people say well what if you pull the god pack you get three legendaries and they're all in color okay cool you've got three cards out of 60 and you might not even be able to play them because we don't know how long the game lasts so Sure. Mm-hmm. You're you're probably going to be searching for cards. Honestly, if I had to guess, your best draws are probably in the uncommon and rare slot for the starter deck event. I don't know if supers or legendaries will be nearly as impactful as some of these really potent cards. So, for example, like Cheshire Cat. If I see a Cheshire Cat in the starter deck, I'm going to be happy. But if I don't and I pull it in a booster pack and I'm playing green, that goes in immediately and I'm going to mulligan as hard as I can to find that card. Mm-hmm. because it's a really big problem for people to deal with and most people don't want to deal with it and yeah. that's an uncommon and i'd be more than happy to, to yoink that if i got two in a pack oh that was, that'd be great that'd be nasty or if you see like a cruella de vil in a cheshire cat like you're playing green whoo that's nice that's real nice mm-hmm. yeah i think it's kind of like pokemon like the pre-releases in a way like if you get like an ex uh, like any of those big v ex uh gx any of that stuff you're kind of set because like you have that card that people really can't knock out that all too easily and while in Lorcana it might be a little bit easier to take things out those like known cards that like can do damage it can do like things really quickly those will be a very big buff to these decks on on average you're going to end up with four cards in color and whether those four cards are valuable or not is an entirely different story so you know it might be a good boost it might not but at the end of the day even if you swapped all of them in and they were all upgrades, it's one out of 15 cards. So you'll probably see two of them in a game. 
yeah, I don't foresee the booster pack being significantly advantageous. Even if you get like the best card in that color, it's still one out of 60. There's no consistency. If you get to draw it, that's great. If not, okay. But you also don't want to mulligan your entire hand away to try and find one card. If you've got a strong hand that's on curve, it's better to play with a good hand than try and dig for one card. And now your your hand is all over the place and there's no consistency whatsoever. Agreed. And so far, I haven't really seen like silver bullet cards. You know, I don't think there's anything that, you know, one of is going to completely change the entire game. Well, and speaking about, you know, constructed decks and cards that we hope to see in our booster packs for Gen Con, let's talk a little bit about the decks we've been playing. What have y'all been thrown down with? What have you been testing? What have you found that you like a lot? And have you found anything you don't like? You're like, I don't I don't like this combo. I don't like this certain character or whatever. You know, what, what's been your uh, testing experience over the past couple of weeks? Uh, for the past couple of weeks, I actually haven't played much Larkana. Uh, I got my wisdom teeth out a week ago, so I've kind of been on somewhat bed rest and it's been hard to actually like talk and like play through a game but i know like i like princesses for the princess stuff is what i've been playing a lot i'm not a big fan of Ant or emerald honestly that cheshire okay i just can't get my i can't like it i i mean obviously i know it's good and like i will learn it of down the line like i will i'll for, force myself i'll i'll make myself learn it just so i know how to play against it but it's it's like that combo is just not it for me in my mind i like the princesses i like being able to go aggro and stuff like that the mickey broom rush has been really nice to me uh so yeah that's kind of like my thoughts behind it but i haven't played much recently but i can't say the same for spencer uh i i actually haven't played too much the last couple of weeks either just because the the meta the quote unquote meta is it's just really stale right now and you know, we've only got a 78 card card pool and it just got tired of playing the same stuff over and over again and i'm not sugi who just wants to grind out 300 games uh in a 78 card <laughs> meta so <laughs> i'm trying to avoid burnout but i have you know i there's definitely stuff that i've i've enjoyed i've actually been rocking the hades deck and it's just really fun it's not good <laughs> but it's fun when it works uh, it's just really rewarding. Uh, it's a very what is it? What is it? Johnny is is a Johnny combo player. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it's it's just a good time when you just sit here and like you do nothing the whole game but build up a board. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. <laughs> and just draw, build board, and then drop your Hades and tap in for 26 lore. And it's like, woohoo, <laughs> you were at 19, should have got there a turn earlier. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's happened a couple of times. So it's 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 a lot of fun. It's really rewarding. Plus, you've got like some stuff that like like Jafar just scares people and he just sits there on the board and they don't want to quest <laughs> because they don't want their stuff to die. And I'm like, I'm totally happy trading Jafar. Um, if I have to, I'll bring him back with Hades. It's not a big deal. And then <laughs> so they don't want to quest and they're just giving you more time to build up your board. And it's great just because he's scary. Uh, I do really like the, you know, the Amber Steel. I'm uh, not Amber Steel. I, I do hope to build Amber Steel in the future because I just have in my mind this support plus challenger plus direct damage and healing and combat tricks like 
crazy board controly tempo deck <laughs> floating around in my head and i really want to see it like come to fruition but we're nowhere close to making that happen right now so uh we'll 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 see if i'm able to build that in the future but uh i'm gonna say amethyst steel because you know pascal is annoying and the amethyst steel is it's so cool because you can either go super super aggro if you draw into it you know just drop in pascals and baby mouths and hercules and winning on turn five or you can really play the the mid-range game and just slowly building up points while keeping your opponent's board controlled with uh direct damage and uh, if you're putting in like Jafars and stuff, challengers and, you know, broom combos and stuff like that. So it's a lot of fun. Sapphire Steel has a place in my heart. I love Emerald. Unlike uh, Teddy, I it's so far. It's like my favorite color right now. There's just not enough to it. And I can't wait to see it develop into something that we can actually do something with. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Just playing around with, you know, a couple of different things. But I actually don't like princesses. I'm not going to lie. It's just not my thing. It's a good deck and it's cool. I just don't enjoy it. Straight straight up rejection, man. Straight <laughs> up. Me and Sneaky have varying and different opinions on many things, but that's how we that's how we bond. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Teddy, you need to try that new Matt Catter deck. All you do is play characters sideways. That's what I was doing. I was looking into that the other day. Uh, so yeah, I'll probably build it here. Here soon. Uh, we have a big homestand coming up at the ballpark, so I won't be able to get to it this week or weekend but i should be able to get to it pretty soon yeah i was gonna say there there's not much complexity in green purple deck you just play cards slap them down you're just looking for early game cruellas and kitties everything else is whatever because they're they're just never going to shut you down even even with direct damage it's still really oppressive yeah green's just a lot of what are you going to do about it i love that (laughs) i love just being like putting it on my opponent like i'm i'm pushing myself towards the win con it's up to you to deal with it they're either going to be able to or they're not and i think that's fun yeah green green right now basically all the effects say just quest and let your opponent deal with this yeah that's kind of the fun of emerald decks at least with the small card pool we have they're either really great vanillas at like three four four five so they're just way above curve on willpower or they have abilities that go hey if i'm if i'm challenged and banished your opponent gets to suffer some kind of effect they don't want to deal with so now they have to look at you questing and go huh do i want to let them keep doing that or do i want my board to just get kind of you know eviscerated and then i'm also not questing and you're wait hold on wait what this is bad (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah i can definitely i definitely see like the goodness in emerald and i will i will learn it i will definitely learn it uh but with what we have so far it has been my favorite but i know we don't have all of the cards and i know once you do have all the cards i think it's actually going to be a very good it will be a very good deck uh nonetheless with even with just like the cheshire cat i believe will be a staple card right out of the gate uh just with how good it is in being able to take things off the board no matter what i'm stoked for that steel uh st- or lilo that that card art looks great just for the card art i feel like that card's gonna be good do we think she's gonna be legendary i'm really interested to see what Cusco does Cusco's another one that uh is 
<laughs> it's super exciting. Yeah. So, so again, yeah, you've, you've released the Mickey toolbox, which was a really fun take on the amethyst steel profile, you know, giving you a lot of tools, a lot of options for how you can approach the game based off, you know, what you've drawn. And then we just talked a little bit about the mad catter. So what, um, what do we have to look forward to in the future? What's what, what you've been brewing up since we've talked about ours. We have got a blue steel deck coming out. I'm working on it like tonight. So by the time this comes out, we should have already revealed it. It's called Guns and Roses. And the idea behind that deck is blue has the best lore batteries in the game. Almost all of their characters have two lore pips in two, three, and four drops. And then you pair it with steel to get what am we looking at here? Kristoff has two lore pips at a three drop. Beast has two lore pips at a five drop. And then you have Captain Hook, Forceful Duelist. He trades super well into Olaf as well as Kitty. And then you've got removal spells like Cannons, Smash. So Smash is great for taking out Cruella because she doesn't trigger off of removal. Cannons are great for taking out Baby Maleficent. Pascal. Pascal is really your big target. You you need an answer to small, evasive characters. And then you have uh, Let It Go to deal with bigger bombs if you face like a, a mid-range or a zoo deck. And uh, you're you're just trying to outpace your opponent. So if you if you face an aggro deck that's never going to attack, like Mad Catter, you actually have better lore economy because the Mad Catter only has two characters that really accelerate the lore, and that's Baby Maleficent, who you can burn or attack, and Kitty, who you want to save your smashes or your Captain Hooks for. So you you technically have. Let's see, eight. You have 12 answers to Kitty. You have three. You have one prime answer for Cruella, which is Smash. If you have to, you can use two fire the cannons. You really want to get her off the board with a removal spell or an action or card, not an attack, because she'll just bounce your biggest thing. And that's if that happens, you've probably lost the game. You really can't let Cruella go off. It'd be better to have her tap for lore and then you quest for lore also. Because nine times out of ten, your bodies will tap for two and the catter will tap for one. So you should outpace them significantly. And then once you find, you know, let it go or a smash, you just take Cruel off the board and your board state is fine. So this is a deck that doesn't mind racing against the catter because if you can get established equal to them or faster than them, you'll just win the game. You obviously want to go on the play which means you want to go first. You can get your first thing down on the board. So if you can, it's kind of nasty. If you throw a Captain Hook on the board first, then your opponent's going to have to think because if they play an Olaf, you can kill the Olaf. If they play Pascal, okay, sure, it's Pascal. We know how that goes. If they play a Baby Mal, you can easily take her off the board. So Hook, Hook can scare people off of certain plays. And then your turn two is Baby Aurora, who can, you know, tap for two. Turn three, you're playing Belle and Jasmine. So and, and Kristoff. So you see those for two. Turn four, you've got access to a lot of different opportunities. You only have Maleficent on curve, but again, she taps for two. You could play, you know, two two drops or a three drop and a burn spell or whatever combination. Five drop slot is going to be for Beast and let it go. And then once you hit 
six ink. You can play pretty much anything. You have a couple of Robin Hoods in here as an answer to red evasive. If you ever see it, we just don't know what Goofy quests for, so it's just inconsistent. Mm-hmm. But Robin Hood is an answer to Pascal if for some reason you've got to turn six and haven't just won by that point. So if, if things stall out, you've got answers to pretty much everything in the field right now. You can base race, you can kill, you've got removal, you've got speed. You do have some off willpower characters. So like Maleficent's a 3-4, Roar's a 3-5. You can also shift into Ward Aurora on turn three. Also, if you have two of the Dreaming Guardian Auroras online, Cruella's effect doesn't work because she can't target anything. Mm -hmm. So that is a direct counter to uh, early and late game Cruella. Kitty doesn't target. So you have to either trade with Hook or use a removal spell. There's no way to play around his effect. But you can play around Cruella, which is really, really good if you know what you're doing and your opponent's not paying attention because you can just force them to bounce an Aurora and it's like, okay, the Aurora, like the the play we've set up is you have a, a baby Aurora online. You have a Dreaming Guardian Aurora online. You swing Dreaming Guardian into Cruella. Cruella has to bounce the Aurora because she's the only thing that doesn't have ward. And then you shift her onto the untapped two drop and then you just you know, do whatever you want. You really didn't take too much of a net loss there. And now your ward is online again. So if your opponent is playing anything that has removal, they have to target that Aurora and the rest of your batteries are safe again. So it keeps you protected and it keeps you on tempo pretty, pretty scarily. Yeah, that sounds uh, a lot like the Sapphire Steel that I run just a little bit, uh, a little bit more aggressive. And then I just find such a hard time fitting Kristoff into the deck because there's so many good three drops and I love Hercules and I love Tinkerbell and usually he just doesn't make it. But like I said, your your deck's running fairly more aggressive than than what I'm trying to do. And so I'm, I'm definitely excited to uh, to try it out and see, see how it goes. Tink is definitely in the deck. Yeah, she's just such good filtering. We do run for Tink. She's yeah, she's good for the filtering because she's a she's a two four. Yeah, so she can she can swing to a lot of stuff and survive. She also realistically she's there for the filter. Your opponents aren't really going to want to swing into her, especially if especially if you're playing against an aggro list. She's probably never going to get touched. And so you just get to look at the top card of your deck and go, do I want it or do I not want it? So you can easily get into your lore batteries. Some of the more aggressive turns mid to late game are dropping a two drop and a three drop. And you just have four lore on the board. And your opponent looks at that and they're like, "Uh oh, because if you're if you're playing in the uh, if you're playing in the Mad Catter deck, you can do that with Baby Mal and one Baby Mal and one Cheshire Cat do the same thing. The problem is the moment the Baby Mal goes sideways, she's dead, mm-hmm. and your characters aren't because guess what? You have a three three, and you have a two three or a two two, and that's just such a great trade in terms of economy because you you also you can use tinkerbell to eat baby mouths all day long she can easily switch from being a filter into a uh, low to the ground removal piece mm-hmm. so yeah it, it's a very aggressive deck you're trying to outrace everything in the format right now and you've got the removal to deal with bigger things like moanas you can just let them go you can or double smash you can get rid of stitch by doing like you know a smash and swing in with tinkerbell because guess what she won't die he only has three attacks like oh that's an awkward trade not for me (laughs) yeah or a hook and a cannons and you just have so many options as far as like what good trades are and what they look like for you and how you can manipulate the board, whether, like you said, to go aggro or to control it. And it's something I really uh, 
really, really like about the deck. Another thing is with Pascal just being so prevalent as he is, a lot of people don't really pay attention and think about removal when they're tapping Pascal. They're like, oh, Pascal's safe. I've got other cards on the board. And then you drop, you know, fire the cannons or two fire the cannons. And then suddenly Pascal's sitting there by himself. And it's just like, bye, bye, little little melon and uh yeah conditional evasive is conditional oh yeah pascal is one of the vips of the set by far he's a great great card design super interesting low to the ground very very squishy but if you have the right setup you can easily use him to just score lore very quickly and if your opponent isn't in steel you are pretty much freeloading it it sucks i've seen people do it where they play like a let it go or a dragon's fire on a pascal and it's like i mean <laughs> what, what are you gonna do that's like your only way to get rid of them and that just feels so incredibly terrible but uh you know if you're gonna lose the game and it helps you win like so be it yeah but we're, we're constantly trying to innovate i do understand that the the current card pool is minimalistic and i do believe that in some capacity the meta can be stale but i i think personally there's some unexplored space like with Mad Catter, no one is talking about green, purple, aggro rush. It's all been like Princess Rush or Yellow Purple Rush. And mm-hmm. we've known about this deck for a long time now. And so it's like maybe we should just, you know, tell people about it because it's really fun. You really don't have to do too much other than play card, tap it sideways. If it draws cards, draw cards. If it doesn't, quest. That's pretty much it. <laughs> and it's really consistent and it's hard to deal with. So it's a really good deck for casual players to pilot because it's it's essentially red deck wins in Lorcana. Mm-hmm. Like you're just slapping down characters and questing and your opponent has to either beat you at the questing game or find an answer. And while they're you know challenging and banishing your characters, you're just playing new characters, which means you're getting lore and they're not. And then over time, your characters are dealing damage to theirs and then theirs are dying and they're still not gaining lore because they're challenging into you. And so it kind of <laughs> compresses all these bad scenarios for your opponent where they can't stop you. They have no board. They have no lore. They have no removal or they don't have the right removal. Uh, what do we do? Yeah, I definitely saw some of that in you know, I'm I'm in the French Discord trying to learn French right now. Uh, and there was there was some of that in their meta, some emerald amethyst uh, rush type situations. But their meta is very, very heavy on Ruby, which is not the case for us. Like, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. So the the French tournament that played out utilized a goofy package. So the idea was you get the five drop three, four evasive goofy on the board and you just kind of quest for the rest of your life freely. And the problem with that is they are predicting that goofy has two lore on his card. Mm -hmm. And after testing that out very extensively internally and with other people, not on our team, we all agree that that feels really overpowered. If, if goofy, because we don't know the rarity, that's the other problem. So like if goofy is a five drop three, four with two lore, he's got to be a rare, which means Tigger will be a six drop four, four with three lore at super rare. I personally don't think goofy is a rare. I think he's an uncommon and I think it's one lore pip. So the problem with the French tournament is it was predicated on a card we know nothing about in terms of win condition. So it's tricky because if he is a five drop at 
two lore, that deck is insane. If he's not, that deck is much, 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 much worse. It's it's just hard because literally all the games we played, the moment you get Goofy on the board, if they don't have removal, you just kind of win because you use Goofy to do the questing and everything else just keeps their board on lockdown. And then if you have anything left over, so like your your fiery up usurper Scar, the 5-3, he can trade with everything in the game except Moana. Uh, he doesn't die, though, if he does. Like, you swing into Moana, but like, here's five damage, haha, casually. The rest of your package includes, like, Donald Duck is a 2-3, so he's off willpower. He's got that extra butt size, so he can trade pretty quickly. You do have eight removal spells. You have the only removal, like, hard removal packages in the game. So once you get to five, you drop Goofy. And then after that, you're just throwing out Dragon's Fires and let it goes on anything that they have that quests for two or more lore. You don't care if they have one, but the two and three lore, just gone. See you later. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, you've got it. It's it's a great deck. It's a really good deck. The problem is it has two major problems. One, Goofy, we just don't know. And two, it, it loses really consistently to Catter. Like we've tested the mad catter into that deck and it just can't compete because it needs to get to turn five for the goofy package. And the problem is it doesn't, you can't play any removal spells until turn five. So by turn five, you're generally sitting on like 12 to 14 lore with mad catter. And if they get to turn five and they drop a removal spell, they've only gotten rid of one thing on your board. And between Cheshire cat and Cruella Deville, like anything they swing into you just bounce back on out of the board into their hand so now there's generally you're sitting on like three to five characters and they're sitting on like two and again you're just you're just questing like mad you, you slap down baby mal tap her sideways you slap down dr dr facilia is one of the most underappreciated cards in that deck because he's a zero four and everyone's like well he's a challenger no he's a card that you swing you, you tap for one lore and they have to swing two characters into him which means that's that's two characters they didn't quest with. Mm-hmm. If you're playing blue, that's usually three lore they don't get or four lore they don't get because they swing in like, you know, a, a fish man and a, a, a Aurora or maybe like two Auroras. Like he's such a great trader in terms of lore economy and board state because he's so deceptively nasty. Even for one lore, being able to get one lore and deny them two or three, super nasty, super, super disgusting. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the the blue red deck, the is it deck is is good, but it really has it struggles really hard against like hyper aggro like red deck win stuff because it, it just it has big bodies which are amazing, but if you're getting bounced off the board or you're getting banished with Cheshire Cat, what do those big bodies mean? They they don't mean that much at all. And by the time Goofy hits the board, it's kind of too late if you know what you're doing with catter like if you mulligan well and you play on curve they're they're just so far behind like okay cool goofy can quest for three and you still can't catch up at that point you brought up a really good point there that i don't really see talked about enough and i think it's so critical to the game is that aspect of lore denial of if you're forcing your opponent to challenge your characters you're denying them lore which is buying you time to be able oh, yeah. to succeed on your game plan and get there faster than them. So, you know, people, you know, they freak out about the uh, Red Alat, Ruby Aladdin, and his lore stealing ability. But every character steals lore if you're forcing your opponent to challenge them because your opponent mm-hmm. just lost the opportunity to gain lore because they had to deal with your board state. And 
that's going to be such a critical aspect of the game that I just, uh, it's not talked about nearly enough at all. I think Lord Denial is a very, very technically advanced perspective on the game because it's not inherently clear cut. When you look at the rules and you look at the game and you look at how the game functions, it's very loud in saying, hey, you need to get to 20 lore to win. That is very, very present in all the forms of media, all the videos. Hey, you got a quest, you got a quest, you got a quest. And then on the other side of that coin, there's the challenging part that's laid out as you can use the questing mechanic to deny your opponent's characters on the battlefield. You could slow them down. And like mechanically and functionally, it's a true statement. If you take out their characters and you have more characters, you do win the game. The problem is they're they're not actively talking about the the trades and the economy in terms of how many characters do you have to quest to take out my character. And Facilia is a great example of that. I, for At first, when he first came out, I actually hated this card. I thought it was really bad. I thought it was one of the worst cards in the set. And then I started playing the game a lot, like a lot, a lot. Like I've, I've got like four or 500 games under my belt. And I started to notice, I was like, wait a minute. He does all the things I want. He doesn't He doesn't deal damage. I don't care about damage. I don't care about killing your characters at all. But he makes you, he makes you exert two or even three. I've seen three characters go in, into him. And that means those are those are three cards you didn't do anything with, or you you expend resources and removal into him, which please kill my two drop with two fire the cannons, or please throw your three drop smash and a character into Facilia. Be my guest. Please take my money. That's like such an unfair trade for you because I spent two ink, two mana to get a, a lore, and you're spending, you know, three, four even five mana in in bodies or removal spells and bodies to take him off the board. Great. That means my five mana can be playing like, you know, a Sork Maleficent. I get a draw card and then I'll play like two baby mouths or I'll play a Cruel Deville and a Maleficent Sork and draw. I get to draw a card and I have a bouncer. Like, dude, my five mana is being spent way more efficiently than your five mana. If you're trying to get Dr. Facilier off the board, please. Thank you. And then you're talking about like, oh, Jafar is scary. I don't care about your Jafar. Like he can only kill one thing. <laughs> I'm going to have like eight things on the board. And that just doesn't slow me down. If you and if you kill my my kitty, which you're not gonna do, then okay, I'm still tapping my kitty cat for two lore, and your Jafar is only taking one lore off of my board after I've quested. So I again, I don't care because I've gotten everything I want. I got the questing done. I got the lore on my board. You took off a character. I'll just play a new character. Whoop do you freaking do? Jafar does not scare me. I will admit. A very disrespectful player. If I'm playing Mad Catter, I'm just going to ignore everything you play because I want you <laughs> to swing into me. That way I can activate my abilities and make your life miserable. So Jafar, cool beans, man. You do you, bro. Like, let's do lunch. <laughs> but yeah, Lord, Lord Denial is extremely, like, I don't think it's complex. It's extremely subtle because, like, like Mad Catter is a great example. A lot of these characters have, like, what I call big butts. They have, like, that one extra level of willpower. So Mickey Mouse and, like, Mickey Mouse Steamboat Willie Mickey Mouse and the... <laughs> The uh, the ever-loved wardrobe that just keeps getting better and better in my eyes. Like a three drop with three four is kind of disgusting because on average, everybody's three drops are usually three three. So the moment you play that character down, it's like, okay, I don't care. It's a vanilla character. And then you quest it. And then your opponent looks at that card and goes, wait a minute. I got to spend two cards to take that one card out. Uh-huh. And most of my cards will die when I do that. Uh-huh. Or I could spend removal, but that would eat up 
multiple resources and then I can't play anything on turn. Uh-huh. Uh-oh. What? Well, now what do I do? It's like, I don't know. That's your problem to solve and my problem to find out. So <laughs> having like the extra, like, you know, the four, five, the three, fours, the two, threes. Oh man. So, so annoying because it just, it eats up more economy and it denies more lore than your opponent really wants to commit. And sometimes they just give you a free character. They're like, I'm just not going to do anything about it. So it's like, cool. I'll just quest with it forever. Or if they overcommit with a character, then you swing your character in. Their character dies. Your st- your character still stays on the board. And now they're all, again, they're looking at the exact same problem of, okay, well, now if I swing into this damaged Mickey Mouse, I still die. He still got a two for one. <laughs> that stinks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the worst. You're sitting there looking at something and it's got like one health and you have to send in something that is dealing more than one damage. And <laughs> it's just like, ugh why (laughs) it it just feels really bad but yeah like you know it's just there's just so many economies you have to manage you know we're talking about lore economy action economy ink economy you know card advantage you know plus your board state and there's just so many micro decisions in orcana all the time that you know i think that's really what's going to make the game competitive you know we talked about being a competitive podcast for uh the glimmer gang and you know obviously you're a competitive player and looking at it from you know that sort of standpoint and that's really where that's going to come in is is the skill set involved in making all of those decisions and and when they are you know or you could just play mad catter and just turn yourself sideways (laughs) i i think it's going to be interesting for the casual player to have that eureka light bulb moment when they start to realize, you know, they're, they're going to look at Dr. Facili. I, I guarantee most people are going to do exactly what I did. They're going to go, zero four challenger. Okay, this card is meant to attack. And that's what you do first. Stop them down, turn two. Turn three, you challenge into someone. You do zero four. You kill a thing. Or I'm sorry, you banish the thing. Woo, got him. All right, Dr. Facilier, do good. And then your opponent swings into Dr. Facilier, who's probably got, you know, two damage on him. And then he gets banished. And you're like, oh, that that feels kind of bad. He He kind of sort of got something off the board, but then he died. Huh? And then you, you try again. Maybe you add a, Hey, Hey, you try all these different combos that you have available and you start to see it's okay. He's really good on offense, but he's not really good on the return fire. And you just kind of go, you know, I've got, I've got better tools. I've got hook. I've got Eric. I've got some, some really scary things. But then when you start to play the lore game and you start building decks that are specifically designed to quest out and be economically, hyper efficient and force you force your opponent to answer you or they lose dr facilier becomes a literal monster because like i said a zero four you don't really care about dealing damage you care about lore denial so on turn two you slap him down turn three you quest him you get plus one you're that much closer to winning your opponent on average right now in the current card pool your one drops are two twos your two drops are two twos or two threes so they cannot kill him with one thing. Even at round, even at turn three, with the best removal we have right now, a smash can't get him. You could get him with double cannons, but let's be honest, you probably shouldn't because you're saving those for Pascal. If you're a smart player, you don't do that. Dr. Vasily is not winning the game, so you, you hold on to those cannons. So at this point, you could either use one cannons and a body, but you're still not doing what you want to do to win and that's questing 
And if you swing two bodies into Dr. Facilier, boy, did you get a huge economic trade because you just denied, depending on the colors, between two and three lore. Oh my gosh, I will be, I'm so happy to say that I, I played a card for two lore, for two ink, got plus one lore, and re- re- essentially, you know, removed or denied three, two to three from my opponent. Like, if, if there was a card that said that in Lorcana speak, <laughs> like there was an action that says you gain one lore, your opponent loses two lore, and you exert two of their characters, wouldn't you think that's kind of obscene as yeah. a common? 100%. You know what the uh, the best answer to Facilier is? <laughs> Ignore him. Hey, hey, and hook. Oh, yeah. Ouch. <laughs> Hey, hey is another one of those cards where it's like, if you could turn this into an action, like how would people feel about it? And it's for making an item. Tap one. (laughs) You tap or exert whatever. Gain one lore. Your opponent loses at least one lore and give plus one power to one of your characters. That sounds ridiculous, but that's what hey does. If and if they don't lose the one lore and they don't attack them, you're just going to do it again and keep giving plus one power and gaining one lore until they decide that they're tired of it <laughs> and do something about it. I love Hey Hey. That's why I'm like this support steel like deck that's floating around in my head. Like I can't wait to build it, and it's all because of Hey Hey. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. Hey Hey is a very very underappreciated card. We're working on some decks, trying to find some uh, really naughty things to do with Hey Hey. There's some weird color combinations he can slot into, and the the decks that you play with a a Hey Hey build are they're they're soup they're really bizarre because support is exactly what you said. You gain a lore and you get to give their their strength to somebody else. So you you get this like really strong trade-off of you're questing and you're doing damage all at the same time. And depending on the body you give that plus one, you you can really set up some very, very gnarly trades. It also works Hey Hey works extremely well in purple with Elsa being able to take a character you don't want to deal with actively exert them and then punch them in the teeth while you're questing it's it's just bleh, super gnarly yeah i'm rocking hey hey in my hades deck right now uh literally just because it combos really well with if i do want to go aggro with facilier bumping up to a three makes him a much much bigger threat but then also with jafar it lets you one shot moana which is great mm-hmm. and then um it's a really good combo with brooms if you've got the broom package going on yeah here's here's smash on a stick enjoy <laughs> yeah for for real like anytime you can take you know we, we've you've talked a lot about you know these willpower thresholds you know with the the three fours and the two threes versus the two twos and the three threes at the same cost and what hey hey does is he bridges those thresholds and can allow something to hit up either a threshold within their tier or to the next tier of cost while getting you lore and progressing your win con at the same time and he's just such a good card i love him plus he's a derpy little chicken he is quite literally a boat stack yes you are (laughs) correct i think actually in the current state of affairs i think hey hey is the most devastating with steel because of bodyguard having him behind a mickey mouse musketeer 
or a 3-3 Hercules is really disgusting. He can pump up Hook. He can pump up Eric. There's a lot of cards in yellow that are equally scary. That mini, that 2-3 mini, making her a 3-3 for two, very, very deceptive. Also, Maximus, I've done a 4-3 <laughs> trade where you, you pop down this, like, Maximus on turn four, like you, you have a Maximus on turn three, whatever, but then you pop down a second Maximus, you turn something off with negative two, and then you swing it as a four, three, and people are like, oh, uh oh, that's that's not very nice. <laughs> it's like, nope, it's not. Sorry about that, homie. Yeah, Maximus is another card that I'm I'm in love with. I, th- I think his value is really good for what you get. All right, well, I mean, we, we've been talking the entire time about decks and there's so much more stuff to talk about there's like you like sneaky was saying there's a lot of economic things there's a lot of microtransactions a lot of different zones and resources to micromanage and we'll definitely have to have you all on to talk about that in the future because it is fascinating i think one of the most incredible things about lurkana is the simplicity of the game makes it really approachable for everyone it's kind of like that classic othello line you know easy to play lifetime to master uh-huh. literally anyone can play lurkana even my girlfriend wants to play Lorcana and I showed her how to do it and she's like oh this is easy that's great but then when you really get like under the hood you start looking at the mechanics and you start looking at the way it's worded you start looking at the interactions and all of the little things that are very subtle not as readily available upon the first look at the game mm-hmm. Lorcana becomes fascinating because the simplicity of the game does not deter from the complexity of what can be done with the tools available to you. And I think that gives Lorcana a longevity that we weren't really expecting, honestly. Mm-hmm. So we'll definitely have to sit down on another episode and chat about the decks we're playing, the cards we're enjoying, the mechanics we're seeing. But Glimmer Gang, where can people find you once again? Tell us about your social media. Tell us about your content. Give us a hint as to what is coming up on a future episode so we can get excited for it. Yeah, so we are available on most of our platforms. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, uh, you'll find a bunch of stuff. Mostly, we are mostly active on our Twitter, and there is a new short series that by the time this episode is out that will be released. It's called Lingo and Lorcana. If you guys want to go and check out any like lingo that's that you may hear in a game store or at an event, you can see we're making it's going to make a 40 day long series. So uh, get excited for that. But yeah, you and then YouTube and Spotify is where our, most of our podcasts are posted. They are video podcasts because we do go live on Twitch now when we do our podcast you can catch us live and be able to uh interact with us and i think it's a good experience for everyone we always have a great time with it but then our next topic so it's just we're going to be focusing on gen con uh like we did here and also just like kind of more competitive uh aspects of the game until we do get more news spencer do you have anything you want to say about the podcast uh nothing in particular other than it's just a great time just come hang out, chill with us, listen to our hot takes. Sometimes they're great, sometimes they're terrible. Y'all can decide which ones are which. And uh, please, when you do decide, let us know. You know, hit us up on the the comments in YouTube or join us on Twitch live and tell us how terrible, terrible we are in person. And uh, I definitely look forward to you know seeing y'all around and uh, hearing what y'all have to say. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate you. Thank you to everyone who listened through this entire episode and was able to, uh, you know, maybe glean some knowledge from these fantastic guests because they definitely know a lot about Lorcana. So thank you for joining us. We will see everybody next time. Make sure to like, subscribe, follow. We are on YouTube. We are on Twitter. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, 
all of that good stuff. But we are here to talk about Lorcana. If you have questions, we're more than happy to answer. We will see everybody next time. So thanks for joining us. And remember that Ohana means family, which means nobody gets left behind and nobody gets forgotten. Just like you wheels always getting I'm so nervous.